This is the Defenders podcast on TV podcast industries, and we're talking about What If, Episode 2. What if T'Challa became Star-Lord? How exactly did you stop Thanos, the mad titan, from decimating half of the universe? Oh, no. I'm a big enough man to admit when I'm wrong. T'Challa here showed me there was more than one way to reallocate the universe's resources. Sometimes the best weapon in your arsenal is just a good argument. Aye, aye, Commander. Although I still assert my plan was not without its merits. Oh, jeez. Pretty sure it's still just genocide, big guy. And I'm pretty sure it's efficient. Welcome back, fellow Defenders, to our second episode uh, looking at and discussing the What If animated uh, series from Marvel Studio. What if T'Challa became Star-Lord and sorted out space with all his diplomatic skills? Mm -hmm. Uh, Yes, I am one of your What If hosts, John. I'm one of your other hosts, Derek. And I am Chris. Posing the question, what if we got this episode title right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, that would be um, a leap of uh, amazingness, I, I guess. I know we're recording this episode just the day before episode one drops on uh, on Disney Plus, and they've advertised uh, the episode as "What if uh, Peggy Carter became the first Avenger," which was not a title we guessed last week no. uh, on our podcast about episode one. Uh, so we're probably not going to get the episode two title right either. Uh, and unfortunately, this episode doesn't even have the credits in it, so it doesn't even tell us who the writer of the episode or director of the episode is. Um, we don't know 100% who the exact cast are, uh, but we can guess which ones are the uh, actual members of uh, of the MCU and who might be being played by other people. We can definitely guess, but there is going to be one or two we get wrong because I know there will be one or two <laughs> that you're like there is just a voiceover actor who has his (laughs) let's say um mbaku down to a t and Mm. you're just like okay well congratulations (laughs) i now hate you because you proved me wrong it is it's like fellow defenders join us into the journey into the unknown as we speculate wildly about who said what (laughs) and who wrote what and who directed what in what if <laughs> what if this was directed by quentin tarantino it could be written by some quentin famous tarantino. writer <laughs> but we're not here to talk about what ifs of the directors we are here to talk about episode two of what if yes that is true we're going to be getting into our spoiler-filled discussion about episode two of what if and um, before we do and um, please if you're new to the Defenders podcast here on TV Podcast Industries. Please pop on over to the website so you can subscribe to the podcast on any good or evil podcast player of your choice. Head on over to tvpodcastindustries.com. We also love getting in the feedback, thoughts, comments, theories, observations, put downs, um, <laughs> you name it. Um, send in any of those to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com or you can join our Facebook group and go to any of the specific episode spoiler posts that we do and comment uh, underneath uh, that post. Um, just head on over to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Industries. Do we want to jump in to the episode details? Derek, 
Who gave us what? I'd love to tell you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what I do know is, once again, executive producers of the show are Brian Andrews, AC Bradley, uh, Brad Winterbaum with Kevin Feige. And the head writer for the show is AC Bradley. Uh, likely um, she has written this episode as well as the first one. Uh, I know she writes the third one. <laughs> but uh, unfortunately, I don't know the director for this episode uh, at the moment. But I'm sure our fellow defenders can tell us. Uh, and we'll probably know uh, when the episode comes out on Disney+. Plus. But John, do you want to tell us uh, what they gave us with your synopsis for the episode? Sure. And please say, I'd love to tell you, but I can't. <laughs> I didn't watch it. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I'm speculating. What if we watch this episode? No, I will tell you, I did watch this episode. Uh, I loved the one all about Agent Carter becoming uh, Captain Carter. Oh, we've already done that. Yeah. Oh, what if John got very confused? Well, <laughs> here you go, fellow defenders. Uh, but on with the synopsis show for episode two. A small choice can change the universe. It's 1988, and in Wakanda, the young and curious Prince T'Challa chooses to leave the nation's protective shield. Unfortunately, an alien team of space pirates known as the Ravagers have chosen to land at the same coordinates. Mistaking the young prince for the human son of a being known as Ego, they abduct the boy and take him into the galaxy. Now an adult, T'Challa Star-Lord is notorious throughout the galaxy for his adventures, stealing from the rich to give to the poor, alongside his adoptive father Yondu and his crew of Ravagers. But he's been told Wakanda was destroyed and his family killed back on Earth. Following a successful job on Morag, Star-Lord returns not only with an Infinity Stone, but with a new crew member, Korath the Pursuer. As they celebrate their success at a bar, with Thanos the sometimes mad Titan, Kraglin and Taserface, Nebula comes to T'Challa with a proposition for a heist on the planet Nowhere, to steal the embers of Genesis from the fearsome galactic crime boss, the Collector. Slipping past the Black Order and infiltrating the Collector's collection while searching for the embers, T'Challa comes across a Wakandan ship and discovers that Yondu has lied to him about his family's death. At the same time, Nebula seemingly betrays T'Challa and the Ravagers to pay off an old debt she has to the Collector. Locked up on nowhere, things are awkward between T'Challa and Yondu, but T'Challa is taken away to be prepared for collection by the Collector, just as Nebula's double-double-cross plays out. As the Ravagers escape, Yondu and T'Challa fight the Collector, employing the Sticky Fingers tactic to defeat him and face justice from his assistant Karina and all of his other collected pieces from across the galaxy. After escaping, Yondu and Star-Lord sort out their differences, and T'Challa takes his adopted space family to meet his family in Wakanda. Elsewhere, in a Dairy Queen in Missouri, a young employee is mopping the floor. As the door opens, a man-shaped living planet called Ego comes for his son, Peter Quill. We spoke in the last episode about the possibilities that can be in the What If universe. Wow, the writers for this episode really went uh, on a run with uh, What If. Uh, <laughs> there's a small change to the universe that changes the entire galaxy, didn't they? Definitely. This felt like it had a lot more changes uh, than episode one, uh, but really significant. Um, yeah. I mean, just... Just it kind of multiply effect, uh, you know, that happened here with with the change, and um, but potentially as well, interestingly, that while certain big 
threats have been averted, um, maybe there is still one that will take place within this universe, yeah. this this timeline and reality. So yeah, I mean, th- this was really really good. I, I must say, I loved um, I loved this episode. Much preferred it to the first one, but I, I think the first one had its own reasons um, for just kind of introducing that concept for a very well-known part of the mcu Mm -hmm. um but this this really um i think took with that and 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 multiplied it out which was really good agreed it was this was a continuation even better than the the first and it cemented the ripple effect or the butterfly flapping its wing effect which one small change just exponentially grows and grows and grows um and we'll, we'll, we'll get into some of those massive ripples, trying to catch all of the, the, the huge amount of Easter eggs across every aspect of this show, this episode. I was just blown away. And it, like, it's going, it's going to be a dream for the IGNs and the nerdists and the den of geeks because it is so, it pulls so much from the comic books in terms of, well, we could do this. And it, that is the, like, it's the, they've, they've gone to a point where it is so fun probably for these writers because they were probably able to pitch pretty much anything. Yeah, like, absolutely. They, there's a story that came out on the today, the day of recording where they, they, there's an upcoming Spider-Man episode apparently. Um, uh, and, one of the original pitched ones was a, a different what if from the comic books, which is what if uh, the the spider bite turns Peter Parker into a spider. Right. And they basically pushed back on it and they wrote the whole episode and it was too horror based. It was too body <laughs> horror. It was basically the fly, right. uh, the film, but in an animated format with a PG-13. And I was like, yeah, yeah, but I maybe would a, love to read that script. Yeah, a bit like, like Man Bat or something, maybe yeah. from DC. I think we do have a, a Spider-Man in the in the Spider-Verse that is a, an actual spider. I'm sure there is one in comics. Oh, there is. Well, There's so many. Yeah. yeah, This is the first aspect of them really flexing and thinking their creative muscles by taking what was the original storylines and then just going, okay, well, if we change this one thing, how does that affect this, this, this? this? Yeah. So I, I was completely enthused by this. Yeah, excellent, definitely. Excellent. Like, I mean, I also I also just thought that um, I felt in, in the first episode, a lot of the motivations of what happened stayed the same as well, even though things had changed, where it felt here that people changed as well yeah. more, more dramatically in that, you know... Um, or at least earlier than they say did in in the movies, and I think for me that kind of was certainly encapsulated with with uh, Yondu actually, and um, that he he is, he sets about sort of and is buys into what T'Challa is saying here, um, yeah. and uh, runs runs with it. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting as well. Yeah, well, let's get into our top three, where we'll talk about those in a bit more detail. We mentioned in last week's episode we're covering the show a little bit differently. We're going to talk about the elements that we've seen before. So what. Marvel Cinematic Universes uh, they're taking from, what movies they're taking from and TV shows they're taking from. Uh, that's where we're starting this time. Uh, what if we've seen this before is our is our first point. Um, 
the way we said it in, in last week's episode was the two elements that were being adjusted really were Captain America, the first Avenger, and the one-shot Agent Carter. Those are the only things really being incorporated in here. And part of the reason that both of you guys are talking about the amount of impacts we're having here is this one small change that we see in this episode affects, what, five movies? Maybe six movies uh, across the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We're talking Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1 and 2, obviously. Yeah. Uh, Black Panther, by the fact that T'Challa isn't there to be Black Panther. Thor Ragnarok is referenced in here that that may not have happened because there's a couple of items in the uh, in the collector's collection that couldn't possibly have gotten there if Ragnarok had happened. And Infinity War and Endgame have been averted. So that's five or six major storylines in the Marvel Universe affected by this one chain. The Avengers itself, the original Avengers, w- would have been... Not the case because Loki was sent by uh, Thanos, and Thanos has changed in this. Potentially, so, yeah, that's correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's so uh, they, they again, they, as I said, this like the, the ripple effect on this is huge. But that, yeah. like, we could go deeper again. You could say uh, theoretically, Ant Man, based on that, maybe in this world there is no civil war, so then there's no Ant Man. Um, yeah, like it goes on and on and on and on and on. Yeah, maybe T'Chaka, T'Challa's father is supposed to have died, and that was one of the uh, the causes of civil war. He hasn't died in this in this episode, but so potentially no civil war. So such a, ma- a massive, massive changes within yep. the MCU just by this one change. Let's talk about that as our second point. Uh, what if there was one small change? What's the basic change that we have here? I mean, the the basic change is that um, you have um, Prince T'Challa being picked up um, and beamed up onto a Ravager ship instead of Peter Quill. Uh, and it's it's for the same reasons in the sense that uh, Prince T'Challa is curious about the world outside of Wakanda, mm. but effectively um, in playing with his spear, he puts it through the protective dome that shields and hides Wakanda. Yeah. And so Wakanda is still very much that insular inward looking protecting their advances what they have which you get in the movies uh, mm-hmm. as well uh, but it but in this case then it's it's that t'challa um is effectively picked up and kidnapped by the ravagers yeah. and it is t'challa that becomes um yondu's right hand i guess for the same reasons in that he can crawl into small spaces yeah. <laughs> uh, and and can be used for some some good little good bits of theft you yeah. know um so T'Challa was definitely trying to get himself out of Wakanda he wasn't just accidentally throwing his spear around and then it happened to go outside <laughs> you can tell because the conversation he had with T'Chaka about wanting to see the outside world and not want to be trapped inside Wakanda but I love the little joke that he could play it off in case he's caught oh no I'm just throwing my javelin <laughs> I'm just just practicing today kind of thing um, another great joke uh, in this about the Ravagers as well as to why they picked up T'Challa definitely and and just that all humans look alike to them. So they kind of just picked up the human that kind of looked like what the, what they had been given by Ego, uh, but in fact looked nothing like Peter Quill. Yeah. And so just that, that joke that effectively all humans look, or all, all Terrans look the same mm-hmm. in the same way that I guess maybe we we think certainly you know some star wars um creatures look the same yeah. it's difficult to tell them apart so yeah. um that was kind of the 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 kind of 
little premise around that. And it's also a reference yeah. to Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Doesn't Drax uh, think that Yondu is actually Peter Quill's father, even though Yondu is blue? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You know? but two see holes, two hear holes, one, one speak hole, exactly. or one eat hole. <laughs> exactly. But there is one other reason for it as well. They're obviously sent to the planet to pick up Ego's son, so the living planet's son, this celestial beings, uh, being son. So they're looking for a source of power on Earth and Wakanda being based on uh, a whole mound of, um, of space metal, um, is another reason why they're attracted to this particular location. So yeah. uh, that's what, that's what T'Challa says when he's not hugely shocked about going out into space or hugely, uh, scared about going out into space he kind of goes well i suppose uh, we are built on this mound of very precious space metal so maybe that's why you're attracted to to where i'm going but i love the ravagers didn't really check uh too much at this so yeah it was fun and the fact that it was taser face and it was um the sean gun and yeah just they they chose some of the, the best characters from the ravagers i think is probably the best uh, anytime I see Taserface, I just have Rocket Raccoon laughing, and that's just the best fun of it. Absolutely, yeah, great to see uh, Craglin and, and Taserface back. They are uh, definitely fun characters from uh, for the Ravagers. Yeah, definitely. I think the other great character here, which I loved, was Korath, uh, the Pursuer, mm-hmm. um, because not only does he know Star Lord and knows the notoriety of him. Uh, about what he's done, what he does. Um, but it's that Karth becomes part of the group. And I, I loved, um, Karth, uh, throughout the rest of this episode being, mm-hmm. just being this, this fan of T'Challa and kind of worshiping and being so enthusiastic uh, about, you know, what he does, the reasons why he does it. And I thought it was some great little, uh, comedy moments, uh, throughout this. And I thought that was a really, uh, nice little change just on that. That, that particular character. Yeah. Um, because with, with Korath, um, you know, he is, uh, Ronan's, um, right hand man. He's very serious. He doesn't know who, uh, Star Lord is, uh, from Guardians of the Galaxy One. And ultimately he, he, he dies, uh, on, um, on the Kree ship uh, as it's attacking uh, Nova. So, no, Nova Prime. So the, I just thought that was a really nice little touch, actually. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Moving from, you know, one of the biggest memes to come out of Guardians of the Galaxy with him staring at the screen uh, when told that Peter Quill's name is Star-Lord. And he goes, who? We've seen that everywhere for the last 15 years. It is literally just that flip of dialogue, isn't it? It's just him going, I know exactly who you are. <laughs> of yeah. course, you're the famous yeah. Star-Lord. And that changes his character completely, changes his life completely. Yeah, and I just love the the fact that it is T'Challa now is this celebrity mm-hmm. in the yeah. universe. He has become this icon, not in the way that Star Lord in the MCU proper. I don't know what we're going to start calling the like the proper MCU, the the OG, like the sacred MCU. The sacred it's timeline. just the MCU. It is it is the Marvel Cinematic Universe. These are uh, stories of possibilities outside of the MCU, right? Well, they're still in the MCU technically. Cuz it is still the cinematic universe. Oh no, we're going to get into a canon discussion aren't we? Yeah, are, are exactly. We... Is, is this canon? We haven't been given a number for it yet. I'm sure we could go for 999 or something like that. No, this is the Marvel TV universe. Oh no. no! No 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 no! That that was back in the day. That was all the shows on ABC, John. <laughs> well, it's on TV. It's not in the cinema. 
But it's streaming. Ooh. It's on your phone. It's not just TV. Anyway, let's get out of it. It's the celebrity aspect that I love. And it's this first introduction when we see them go to, which was, I thought, nowhere, but not. It's just this pub. Yes, we were trying to work that out as to what pub it was. Was it a Ravager pub that we had seen on screen before? But the only one we'd seen of those was on a planet full of snow. And there is a little clue as to where it might be uh, in the fact of who the bartender is that's serving them. Uh, Drax is a bartender. Yes. And the only reason Drax left his home planet was because it was destroyed by Ronan, who killed his wife and child. And here he says his wife and child are there waiting for him at home. So I think this is Drax's home world. It could be. Yeah. Yeah. And this is where we start to see these additional ripples, Mm -hmm. just consistent ripple after ripple after ripple after finding out the Ravagers are no longer pirates. They've gone good. Mm -hmm. And that they have made, and they are, they've made a name for themselves as this basically a non profit NGO. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's it, exactly. Uh, And it's, it's in the same way that, you know, Drax is there behind the bar. There's no Groot or Rocket Raccoon with this Star-Lord. But in the bar, we have... I've I've mentioned Karath coming on board. He's there. But we have Thanos who who turns up, which is kind of a nice little moment between uh, Karath and, and, uh, and Thanos just because of their, you know... They, they, well, work together through Ronan in that sense, but just saying, uh, and what about the, the sometimes mad Titan and just the little tap on the, on the shoulder. And, uh, then you get the, the fantastic running gag, uh, throughout the whole, uh, of, of this episode, um, about having, you know, T'Challa having talked Thanos down from his plan to, to click his fingers and do the snap. Um, uh, and it just, it's still genocide, um, but it was efficient and with merit. And it just, it's just <laughs> yeah. a really, really um, interesting little, um, little gag and, and kind of playing to, to Charles that the best weapon is a good argument. You know, mm-hmm. his, his, um, oratory and his, um, debating skills are obviously pretty fine Absolutely. if he, uh, talked down the, the mad Titan Thanos. And that, that, I never thought I'd enjoy that character as much. <laughs> yeah, exactly. In, the, in that aspect. Yeah. Because there, there has been other comic book what ifs, like what if Thanos joined the Avengers? And that we've seen that. We've seen good Thanos. This is different. This is, he still thinks he was right. He just didn't do it. Yeah, he found he T'Challa's way was better. You found a found him a different way exactly. Yeah. I think there was there was at the time um, there was kind of the joke or the uh, the response to the idea that he would snap his fingers and kill half the universe um, because resources were going to run out and everybody was kind of going. But he has the power to do anything he wants to. Why doesn't he double the resources in the universe <laughs> rather than killing half the people? Like that would be the the logical option. So that's why everybody went. He's a mad titan. He wants to kill everybody. Really, he's just using this as an excuse. But here we are finding out that he does have this plan. He believes in his plan. But as you say, T'Challa has proposed something uh, something better for him. Uh, initially, when he shows up, um, it did make me think of like a. a 
uh, Rick and Morty episode where uh, that's the kind of thing that would happen or some of the YouTube videos, the how it should have ended videos, uh, where you have these characters coming up and saying funny lines. But I actually like the character. I think they did because they had them in the episode for more than just that moment. It wasn't just a good gag. We actually got to see a bit of Thanos as a character. As yeah. Well. Yeah. For me, the, the, the best part of this episode uh, is the fact that it's a heist episode. Mm-hmm. So if this was just a let's go around space, different space bars and different bit and see some different characters, I would have had fun with that as well. But it's not. It is. It's it's in my head. Ant-Man one in space. It is a heist film at its heart or mm. a heist episode at its heart, just contracted around different kind of aspects of different films uh, and different characters. So when we get this nebula coming in, who's never been dissected, never turned yeah. directly huge amounts into a cybernetic uh, creature, because Thanos still adopted her, but mm-hmm. he never ran too many experiments, so she still has her hair, she was never shaved bald and put in huge uh, implants. Yeah, Gamora's not there because... Thanos never destroyed her planet and uh, took her with him, excuse me. So we get to see all these characters, but in a different, and it all kind of boils down to this, well, we want you to go after the Collector, because he has something. And it's just this, it's basically Ocean's Eleven, or Ocean's Eight, or Ocean's Twelve, or Ocean's Thirteen, depending on which Ocean's film you enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Uh, or the OG Ocean's Eleven. Um with the rat pack, it is essentially that. This is the spot pack, the space pack. I don't know. <laughs> One of those five films is good, Chris. Uh, <laughs> I would, I would argue three of them are good. We we will but, not argue about that because that's not the podcast. We may come back yeah. to it in a future podcast if we run out of other things to talk about. But it is really interesting seeing Nebula here. Yeah, you're right. This that that idea that she never fought against Gamora throughout her life. That was always the challenge between the two of them. That's the battle that was going on, and the fact that uh, Thanos would have experimented on her throughout her life. And here she has. She's coming with this proposition. She's coming with this idea of another tool that T'Challa can use to feed more people and to help more people on more planets. Um. And it does play into that central kind of argument he must have had with uh, with Thanos about this is how we can help the universe. These are the things that we can do. So uh, so I love him getting together the team. I love him getting together the plan. And I love that we're kept in the dark about what exactly is going on as well. Because yeah, we've seen definitely. Gamora be duplicitous all the way throughout her time yeah. within the Marvel Universe. So you you expect that she is twisting and turning on everybody around her. Um, well, they and they play with that, which yeah. is the nice thing because... Uh, because of the seemingly uh, the seeming double cross that 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 she does, because she has this debt to the collector, who's now this main antagonist, this huge crime lord, um, head of a syndicate, and um, so that it looks as though she she betrays um, the Ravagers and T'Challa, yeah. uh, so that um, the collector can collect T'Challa and and hang him up in one of the boxes uh, in his big storage collection, mm. or alternatively uh, dissect him. And I I love that. Um, I like you, Chris. I love this heist element to it. I thought it was a really good. I like the little touch of. Uh, the Black Order being on security, <laughs> uh, which was a nice little uh, way to bring the, those in. Yeah. And, um, you know, you, you, you saw a number of the different things that you saw in the movies, like the 
the Dark Elf, you saw Howard the Duck, and you saw Cosmo, the the Russian uh, cosmonaut dog. Mm-hmm. Um, and to your point as well, Chris, before uh, about you know changes in um, the the uh, Avengers and, and them coming together, or with uh, Thor Ragnarok particularly, you know, we see here Captain America's shield as well in the big fights in the big showdown. You see Thor's hammer there as well, mm. as well as Hela's big Asgardian headdress uh, as well, used by by the Collector to uh, when when he was when he's fighting yeah. um, against uh, against T'Challa. Uh, I really actually I loved the moment um, where I think well, the gag that. T'Challa uses your outfit would suggest otherwise as he, he's um the collector's in this hugely elaborate sort of fur looking coat um he says I'm not one to um I'm not one for um drama uh, and T'Challa says your outfit would suggest otherwise uh, just those nice little gag and I, I loved yeah. all these touches running through um through the this this episode yeah. uh, for sure there's so much in the collector's palace we definitely wouldn't catch wouldn't catch everything that's in there but one that i like the blink and you miss it moment is uh him using his first weapon the arm of a krogan and saying uh, this was the arm of a pretty chatty krogan well that is Korg, yeah. right from uh, from thor ragnarok that's yeah. uh, that's taika watiti's character from uh, from thor ragnarok which is a pretty brutal way for him to go uh, and god bless used, you the collector used as an arm um, yeah, the other uh, the other kind of knock on effect we didn't really speak about as well is the reason why the collector is so powerful in this universe is that he came in to subsume um, Thanos's position in the universe when Thanos backed down and stopped uh, doing what he's doing. That's why he has the Black Order as uh, as his uh, armed guards. That's why his collection is about seven times the size of what we saw in Guardians of the Galaxy. It's because he's effectively using all the power that he now has available to him with the vacuum that was left behind by Thanos to go out in the universe and collect everything he wants and nobody can stop him because he's so powerful now. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the, the just this, as, as you said, John, like just some of the things that are in his collection, the people like, like Harry the Duck being voiced by Seth Green. Once again, yes. Just, mm-hmm. just it, it's fantastic choices. Um, Great to have him back, yeah. Yeah. And just mm-hmm. all these different, no, he was good. He does it good. It was great yeah. to have Seth Green back in the role as Harry the oh, Duck. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, Seth yeah. Green did Howard the Duck really well. Yes. Um, I'm just not a fan of Howard the Duck. Yeah. Oh, I love him. I really wish we had got that animated show. The only thing I really don't like about him is and he's been in, in the MCU like three times now and uh, played by Seth Green each time. They've used the same joke pretty much all three times. The... Um, you're out of luck until you've gone duck is, is the joke that's been used three times. They're going, he only gets about five lines of dialogue every time he appears or less. Um, this time he has a, a good bit of dialogue with T'Challa running yeah. around inside the collector's place and he still uses the same line. It's yeah, like, wow. I, I think it would have been really good. You know, if the collector has filled Thanos's power vacuum, you know, he, he's got his tentacles all the way through the galaxy that he's collected, you know, the, the, the scrumptious um, delicacy from China that is crispy duck. And, and he's, <laughs> yeah. he, the, he's just hanging up and oh. sort of getting, you know, sort of um, juicier and more marinated, ready for sort of the great banquet. He's peaking duck. <laughs> he's the peak of peaking duck. Um, I, I just enjoyed it. I, I, I know... I know... 
the day after this comes out that there will be articles upon articles of did you see in the background this Mm -hmm. or this or this or this or this like the ships alone that we see one of the best aspects is we see the Wakandan ship spaceship from the Wakandan Empire storyline in the comic books where Wakanda goes to space and this plays into this storyline. We'll get to that in a second. Right. You see the Nova Corp ship, you see a Milano, you see the original Milano, not the, the secondary ship from Quantum Galaxy 2. You see the OG Milano. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you the Millennium see... Falcon was in there. <laughs> it literally, but that's the thing. <laughs> it could have been. It could have been. And I think like that will be the fun aspects. You'll probably yeah. see like I couldn't catch all of the weapons. Mm-hmm. I saw some daggers and I was trying to go, was that Loki's daggers? Probably. And yeah. it was in my head that, and then it's like, okay, is there probably going to be web shooters in there? Is there going to be this or th-? like, that's the, the fun part of these shows because this is not canon. This is not like they could within reason, probably they pitch some very strange things and we'll get away with them. I think it's so fun that like they end the battle with the collector and, the uh, Yondu and T'Challa with sticky fingers, mm-hmm. which is just this callback that, to be fair, ran over my head the first time, mm-hmm. and it was probably as we before we started recording and we discussed it, it was when I was like, oh, make, okay, yes, connections back, yeah. but they could have they could have gone anything, they could have got a, uh, a, a the the nullifier from the Fantastic Four. And got this just tiny little thing and hit him. And, or they got Galact to come in and eat him. Right. Like all these but weird. I still think things. for these early episodes, they're trying to keep to the MCU as much as they possibly can. And especially for these kind of references and Easter eggs that they're doing, I think they're really trying to keep to the things that people may have seen in the movies before. That was always the fun of, of what if in the comic books was it would reference things that you've already seen in, in major comic yeah. book storylines so that you could kind of pick them out as you went through page by page. What are the changes? What's the ripple effect of having this massive change to one character or this really small choice or really small change to a character? And what's the ripple effects throughout the overall storyline that you read amongst those 32 pages? You know? Yeah. So, uh, well, I think, so I think because most of the MCU is now kind of broken away and it's not directly connected with, you can't pick up a comic of any of these storylines. Uh, until after the movies have come out. Um, I think they're trying to reference the fact that, you know, you've seen this on screen, and if you look long enough at the episode, you'll also see them on, on the little screen here. I think as well, it, it's like with the with the first episode with Agent Carter. Uh, here in this episode, uh, T'Challa is, to some degree, the same person with the mm-hmm. same integrity, the same motivation that he had in uh, the the Black Panther movie. Yeah. Uh, it's just, it's now, you know, it like S.H.I.E.L.D., he's just in space now. <laughs> um, and so, you know, it, it's the same kind of thing, but he's in a different context. And because of his influence, um, things have changed on a galactic level. Yeah. Um, and, and we see that, you know, this is contrasted with the fact that because the Wakandans um, went looking for the lost prince of T'Chaka, then, yes, they have searched every nook and cranny of of the galaxy in space to try Mm. and find T'Challa, but they are still um, hunkered down um, within 
their protective shield yeah. uh, in Wakanda. They haven't gone to explore their own planet and, and to make yeah. those connections like we see in 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 the movie. And I th- and that's all you know comes from and 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 gets explained because. Similarly, in the movies uh, of Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, Yondu has lied to T'Challa as to why he's been taken, yeah. which is the same um, the same thing that happened with uh, Yondu and, and Peter Quill. And I, I like that as well. T'Challa here, they they ultimately make their peace because of the importance of family. And I thought that at the end where T'Challa takes his adoptive family and his crew and his space family uh, to see his, you know, his his real family, his biological family there in Wakanda. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a, a really neat little touch was, um, yeah. to, to yeah. just um, kind of really keep that consistency on on the character of T'Challa because he he has such a great relationship with um his his family members his sisters and so on and I, I just thought that was um a nice touch that they kind of brought in here as well exactly so that's perfect kind of segue into our third point the what if the universe was changed forever so what would be so different at the end of this episode? Um, and the key one is the, well, two key ones. The first is that the Wakandans are more than likely going to go to space even further now. They have found their prince. So there is this amazing storyline in the comic books of the Wakandan Galactic Empire, which is just so much fun. It's a really good ep- If you're reading any of the comics, I strongly suggest kind of jumping in and reading some of these because it's a fun romp in space. Um, and I really enjoyed it. But it's that possibility of, well, then you get the Dora Milaje in space. Then you get M'Baku in space. You get all, you get Shuri in space. You get all these characters with the aspects of Peter Quill on top of that. And then, in the end, you get the galactic star panther or the lord of the panthers, or I don't know what you would put, how you would combine it, but essentially black panther and star lord in one. Um, and that's a really fun aspect yeah. to that. I would, if we were ever to get in season two, them to come back and kind of revisit some of these universes, this is one for definite that would be interested to see the next step on um, to see how that goes. Yeah. But there's an even bigger impact. Oh, absolutely. Um, I must say, first off, I love that this ended with Peter Quill mopping the floor in, um, in the Dairy Queen. Mm -hmm. Um, I just thought that was a neat little touch. Um, And I think even neater that because of of the mistake being able to distinguish Terrans by the Ravagers, uh, where and not picking Peter Quill is that Ego has gone after to find his his son anyway, and presuming I guess we're or assuming here that for the same plan uh, that he had in. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy 2, which was to take over uh, the universe, to seed himself throughout the universe in mm-hmm. different planets. And so I, I love the fact here that, you know, would 
Peter Quill may, you know, just go with Ego's plan, or he might not have the power to um, resist him. Um, in a sense, because there's no guardians of the galaxy to well, yeah. to back him up and to help him uh, destroy Ego, yeah. he's not been flying spacecraft or. He, neither knows how to use a laser. So he's got no means other than maybe bashing Ego over the head with the mop and bucket. Yeah. Um, but it's and, a very big head. He's a living planet. He, well, exactly. Yeah. And I think it comes to, you know, we said in our first point about, well, the Infinity War and Endgame are averted. But when you think of Guardians of the Galaxy 2 and the plan of the expansion by mm-hmm. Ego, then... If this is still on the table, this becomes this universe's, this timeline's, um, infinity war level threat, which I just yeah. think is, you know, really good. So all this is actually really positive, but it, it finishes on a point where, well, the expansion could happen in the next two weeks, ultimately. And, and it ripples mm. out through, um, you know, where he's placed his seed on all these planets. I say two weeks. It could be two months. I don't know. I, it, yeah. I you know, two seconds. Maybe ego blinks and he's back uh, in in his the center of his planet. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Part of the expansion was he was going to train Peter up in the ways of using the powers, so the two of them would amplify the whole thing and and take over the universe um, quicker. If Peter joins his side, I just think that's what's so interesting about this. This point where he's still in that Dairy Queen back in his hometown hasn't moved at all as opposed to going out into space and learning all the things he's learned over those 20 odd years that he was out there uh, it, that's quite interesting it makes you think that maybe he would take on the option of becoming yeah. uh, a celestial being yeah, and exactly. being able to control the powers that Ego's uh, telling him he can control so sounds better than uh, mopping the floors potentially yeah yeah maybe he enjoys mopping the floors maybe he owns the Dairy Queen but it would still seem like being part of half of the universe and owning every planet on it, it seems like a bigger upgrade than owning one Dairy Queen in Missouri. <laughs> so, yes, I think he would probably uh, jump into that role. Yeah, so. me too. I, th- I think so too. So then, again, then when we come back, if we were ever to come back to it, it would be interesting. That would be, it would be interesting to see how, how Star-Lord slash Black Panther deals with this, with yeah. Thanos on his side, with... With all the rest of the Ravengers and potentially other galactic heroes. Mm, yeah, and, and you could see this in a season two episode. You could see this as what if Peter Quill was taken in uh, in 2015 from uh, rather than in 1988, you know. Um, do we have any notes about the episode? I know I have one or two about the episode. I know we've missed loads of, uh, of some of the knock-on effects, but do you guys have any additional notes about the episode? Uh, no, not for me. What about you, Derek, then? Come on. Just one that I wrote my notes. I'm going to say it out loud as well and share it on the podcast because what I wrote in my notes was um, the voice actor that took on the role of the collector just couldn't get the cadence that Benicio del Toro did uh, as the collector in Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, and then we got the press release of the cast members that are in the show and Benicio del Toro is confirmed as a voice actor for this series <laughs> of, uh, of What If. So uh, that is Benicio del Toro's voice uh, as the collector playing the same role. I obviously forgot the cadence of the character myself. Um, so, <laughs> so that's quite interesting that, uh, that they did bring Benicio back on board uh, for this uh, for this role, isn't it? Well, this is the thing. Yeah. Like when it's animated, it's two, three days worth of work. Potentially. Versus yeah, yeah. like they, they just, and also a lot of this voice Acting was done in probably in bedroom cupboards and 
kind of wardrobes and everything as they, they during COVID last yeah, year. Yeah. Um, during lockdown when we were globally in all the different places. So I, I'd say that that's probably also aspects to it mm-hmm. because there's definitely some different timber to the, to the, the, some of the, the, the lines that you could probably tell that some of the lines, not just on the uh, Benicio del Toro, but all of them, when there was definitely a different, I'd say a different recording session when they did some pickups. Maybe, yeah, yeah. Um, they, they just sounded different. It just sounded slightly different. But I, I think if you if you watch Tom Hanks explain voice acting <laughs> on the Graham Norton show, um, I don't think he would agree that it's just simply show up and that depending obviously oh on how big God, it no, is i'm not saying uh, that and part, as a fan but, of critical uh, role yeah <laughs> uh, nothing but voice actors all of the best like that they are fantastic and they have some crazy work especially video game voice actors um no that's what i'm saying i'm saying for a shorter appearance in one of these shows yeah it is more it's more like two three days yeah. versus a, a, a shoot. Yeah, and the vast majority of, of the voice actors that are used in here, as we mentioned before, are the actors from movies. Yes. Most of them not voice actors, and they are two very different skills. Um, yes. We've seen that from, very much so. from the voice actors that we've uh, talked about on the, on the animated shows uh, over the course of this last year. Um, the voice acting that they can do, making themselves sound completely different for, for various different characters, like, for example, Dee Bradley Baker in, in uh, Star Wars The Bad Batch, who voices... Uh, seven different characters every single week and all of them sound pretty different and with a New Zealand accent as well on top of it all uh, a great voice actor yeah. uh, and some of these some of these other actors coming in for their spot doing uh, doing one role that they may have played 10 years ago like Benicio del Toro may just get it slightly differently when they're doing their readings um, of course yes. uh, we can't expect that but it is wonderful get that as an easter egg it's great just picking out who's got whose voice is there and whose isn't uh, again really good to see Josh Rowland in there uh, playing Thanos yeah. in this role like that's a completely different version of Thanos that he's played but we know Josh Rowland has a really good sense of humour because we've seen him uh, in many many interviews and many other roles so uh, he must have thought this was hilarious playing this version of Thanos 100% especially it's a bit more Cable-esque in the the dry wit, if you will. But that was my, that was my only other note. Just uh, just that I had originally thought that Benicio del Toro's uh, voice was slightly different, and uh, turned out to be actually him. Good stuff. Any notes, Chris? Nothing from my side. There are hundreds of Easter eggs. Probably there. the Dark Elves from Thor: The Dark yeah. World. Hundred percent saw them. Um, it looked like it sounded like the same actress who played the collector's assistant. Oh, Karina. Um, yeah. yeah, it was. Yep. Yeah. There was um, the little insect from Thor Ragnarok. Um, pretty sure I saw him one of in 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 one of the like. There was so many in there again, and even with like say Cosmo, like he didn't talk, but he could. So that's the next. Like, there's so many fun bits in it. I'm just like, all right, bring me, bring me the breakdown, people. Let's watch it again next week. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Um, but let's get on to our defense. Chris, do you defend this second episode of What If? Yes, I, I do defend this episode. Um, this is the next step in the, they, they're introducing people. People are getting more and more comfortable in this series with the changes. Um, so I personally really enjoyed it. Uh, like I understand what what ifs, but I also understand why they took it a bit more 
cautiously in the first episode, and but this episode takes the premise to the next level. Oh, again, with like, okay, with one slight change, one pebble thrown into the sea, how do those ripples affect? And that pebble being T'Challa and being Chadwick, one of Chadwick Boseman's last ever, um, performances ever is just, it's fantastic. And he, the, the passion he puts through as an actor in this character is just so much fun. Um, so yes, I a hundred percent kind of defend this one. Derek, do you defend this episode of What If? Absolutely defend this episode. Yeah, it's a really good episode. Um, despite the fact that I preferred the story in the first one, uh, this, okay, is, yep. this is the crowd-pleasing episode. This is the one yes. that is exactly the kind of episode I love to see in shows like this that are getting off the ground and trying to get in a new audience. It's, hey, look how big changes can be made by just this one small change in this in this universe and let's have loads of knock-on effects and let's have people uh in the background that have changed completely by this one little knock-on effect that's the fun of what if and i think they've they've nailed that perfectly in the second episode um as we mentioned the last episode first one is just about setting it up as a concept and this one is about how much fun can we have with the concept and i'm sure next time it's going to be even more fun with the concept as well how about yourself, John? Do you defend this episode of What If? Yep, I really do defend this episode. Loved it. Um, I'd give it four and a half lucky drinking ducks out of five. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I just thought this was superb. I thought it was a real nice little um, testament to the character of T'Challa. Mm-hmm. Those, you know, that it's the um, the one of the final sort of acting pieces that Chadwick Boseman did. I think it's really fitting um, that this to me felt really kind of meaningful mm-hmm. um i i love um just the changes that happened here and i think it even connected in with how people changed you know thanos changed um yondu changed yeah. and it was all driven by uh t'challa and they weren't going through not to say the first one went through the motions, but they didn't just kind of act out the same thing. There were significant differences happening here at, you know, galaxy scale. And I really, yep. really enjoyed, um, the, the impact of that from the, the small little mistake, uh, basically because the ravagers couldn't, uh, distinguish between Terrans. Uh, so I, I thought that was really good. Uh, I, I thought, um, uh, Korath, the pursuer. I love that character through here. Um, just the enthusiasm and energy, mm-hmm. um, that, that came to this character, which we didn't really see in the films. Um, Thanos, um, as well. Just, yeah, a, a really sort of just given how big it was played up in Infinity War and, um, Endgame. And just, you know, when you think back to that post credit scene of Thanos, in his chair, um, and, and the, the seriousness of his mission in those movies to have him seemingly quite relaxed, um, having been changed and convinced otherwise. He's a gardener um, now, John. And, and, and uh, is now a gardener <laughs> and the little gag that runs through it really, really good. Yeah. Um, so I, I absolutely love this. So I definitely uh, defend this episode with four and a half lucky drinking ducks out of five. It's a fun episode, isn't it? It's, uh, as I say, what if T'Challa became Star-Lord? Well, the whole galaxy would be fixed and we wouldn't have any massive battles versus the Avengers because he'd just talk talk to everybody and sort out the issues with them. What a great legacy for uh, for T'Challa. 
It really is. Yeah, it really is. And hopefully it's not the end. Uh, we may be seeing Chadwick Postman a few more times throughout the season, uh, which will uh, be fun. Absolutely. Um, so at the end of this season, we will then officially reach the end of Chadwick Boseman's portrayal. Uh, long may he reign as king of uh, Wakanda. Uh, well, at least until Wakanda Forever, mm-hmm. uh, the second Black Panther film comes out. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Let's head over to the pub. Time for our pub quiz question for the week. John? Yes, uh, get yourselves laid back in some galactic space bar. Uh, Start drinking some of that sort of uh, lovely psychedelic juice that they serve uh, over there uh, with our question two from this episode. Mm. What folklore hero does T'Challa embody as Star-Lord? And for a bonus point uh, for this question, what name does Yondu give this folklore hero? So two answers here. Mm. The the correct, historically or legend correct um, answer yeah. about the folklore hero uh, that T'Challa embodies and the... The, the mistake on the name uh, given by Yondu. Um, and so, send in your answers to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com um, separately or all together once the, the nine episodes of What If uh, have finished. Uh, and we will, we will pull out um, the fellow quizzer who um, gets the most questions right, uh, then will be selected from the electronic voice Uh, in the speaker uh, randomly, uh, as we do now. (laughs) If you haven't heard the podcast before, that all makes little sense to you, I'm sure. But uh, (laughs) we will be giving away uh, some goodies for What If at the end of the season. Um, I think it's three uh, Funko Pops from uh, from the the, uh, collection of What If versions of the Marvel characters uh, coming up at the end of the season. So uh, get your answers in. Two points available on this week's question, which is pretty cool, John. Do you want to remind them what the question is, please? Absolutely. What folklore hero does T'Challa embody as Star-Lord? And for a bonus point, what name does Yondo give this folklore hero? Excellent. Time to leave the pub. We've done lots of talking about episode two. Thanks so much to all of our fellow defenders who've been sending us in their feedback on episode one. Let's go back in time uh, to episode one, Captain Carter, uh, the first Avenger. Uh, First up, we have... Matt Murdock, who sent us in a voicemail about the music of Captain Carter. This is really, really interesting, guys. I'm looking forward to hearing what you thought about this one. Yeah, absolutely. Derek, John, and Chris, hello from across the pond. Matt, once again. Derek and John, I know you guys especially would be interested in this musical feedback because you guys, as well as myself and Catfish, we loved Laura Cartman and Raphael Sadiq's score for Lovecraft Country. And lo and behold, another Lovecraft Country alumni is involved with Marvel. Gotta love it. Gotta love it. I can only imagine, though, how difficult it is for a new composer to come into a very established musical world and try and create new music for a new series. Uh, many composers have done a great job doing that. But I love the way that Cartman incorporated some of the Avengers stuff into her score. It was fantastic, especially in the end credits. The theme you hear in the end credits is essentially 
the theme for the Avengers just twisted up a little bit. And it may have been a director's note. It may have been a showrunner note. We want this to sound like the Avengers. And so she literally took some of the best parts of the Avengers theme and kind of rearranged it. Let me just play for you one of the big musical icons, because essentially in the MCU, you have to create musical icons, and the Avengers theme is definitely one of those musical icons. So she took this... from the, you know, original Avengers movie, and she just rearranged it a little bit to sound like this. I'm sure you and all of your listeners can hear those similarities. One of the main things that's similar, of course, is just the initial notes melodic shape. Everything has these notes in it and, and at this shape. Same notes in the same order. There is a variation in the last part of the phrase where the melody for Cartman goes this way. But even that is borrowed from the progression of the original Avengers. Listen to how the bass notes go in this section of the Avengers theme. That bottom note is what becomes a new melody note in Cartman's theme. So lots of stuff borrowed, and perfectly done so. After all, it is Captain Carter, the first Avenger. All of the melodies are very similar, but it's a different universe, so it's going to be just slightly tweaked. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. Even though, I will say, Brad Whitford is still always going to be Josh Lyman to me, no matter what. Anyway, love the episode. Hope you guys did too. Take care. Excellent stuff, Matt. Uh, that's that's so, so interesting. Uh, Bradley Whitford, by the way, um, I never watched uh, West Wing, so uh, the character you're talking about never enters my mind. I always just think of his uh, of his character from um, Get Out or his character from Cabin in the Woods. Uh, <laughs> so when he appears on screen, I recognize him from that. But uh, but yes, he played the head of the SSOR in the Captain Carter episode. But uh, he says every time he hears his voice, he just uh, thinks of the character from the West Wing. Uh, yes, great to hear Laura Cartman back from her work on Lovecraft Country. Myself and Don absolutely love that. Uh, I know we talked about that multiple times. And really good to hear uh, those themes together. I don't think I ever would have picked up what it was that was different uh, between the two themes without hearing them side by side like that. Yeah, and it, it's really uh, great. Uh, stuff uh, Matt to to get the the examples of how it changes because y- y- you're right that that idea of a, you know a new composer coming into an established huge property even though this is now the animation but you know with established musical themes that run through it and creating the new sort of tweaked adjusted music to fit this kind of multi verse or one of the multiverse where something has changed and based it on that established theme it's just really um just so good and um, so uh, as always matt really uh nice to get your feedback in uh on, on the the musical uh 
aspect here of this first episode of um what if on on captain carter absolutely i think you'd be overloaded if you're trying to do this every episode given how many themes are going to be going on throughout what if yeah thank you matt and like as you said it's the fun part of this is it's it's the universe we know it's the tunes we know but slightly different Exactly. Also over an email, uh, Jerry got in contact with us. He says, hey guys, the new What If is a gorgeous piece of animation art. The creative storytelling was excellent. The voice casting for the most part was good. My only nitpick was the Watcher's voice. Jeffrey Wright seemed uninspired to me. I know this is just the first episode. I always imagined the Watcher to sound like Leonard Nimoy. Very stoic and cold. The other nitpick I have, there should have been a scene of the Red Skull taking the Tesseract from the Hydra Stomper instead of the Red Skull just having the Tesseract calling Cthulhu. Cannot wait for more episodes, Jerry. Thanks, Jerry. I know what you mean about the Tesseract, uh, about about Red Skull taking it. I think I've actually heard a couple of podcasts and a couple of people talking about it where they missed uh, what had happened and how the Red Skull got the Tesseract back because it's such a big moment that Peggy gets it early on before it arrives at Red Skull and then he has it back later on, but he's taken it from the Hydra Stomper uh, at some scene in the middle, effectively. But they could have put it in there to make it a bit clearer uh, for everybody. But uh, but yeah, I, I do understand the nitpick. Yeah, thanks so much, Jerry. And I, I get with Mr. Wright, I suppose. Look, um, I understand. I definitely see where you're coming with Mr. Nimoy. Like, Leonard yeah, was definitely obviously would have been, could have been the fantastic. Uh, just the, I think th- hopefully now that you've heard episode two and you've listened up to, you can start to see why Jeffrey Wright was chosen mm-hmm. because the watcher is cold and stoic yeah until he's not yeah uh, they do not interfere until, yeah. they do. until they do there's that detached element for sure very matter of fact um i guess is, is of the watchers for sure yeah i definitely yeah. agree we also got an email from coffee and vodka who had this to say hello watching defenders wow 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 loki let the multiverse genie out of the bottle and what a genie it is flawless and fluid animation surrounding a flowing natural narrative peggy's a perfect fit in the front lines hell she is the front line her battle with the misogynistic brass, friendship with Howard Stark, tentative romance with Steve Hydra, Crusher Rogers, mm-hmm. and final sacrifice rounded out her already well-defined character. My only complaint, if you could call it that, is that a training montage wouldn't have gone amiss. Although being animated, one can forgive a Mary Sue, or should I say, a Peggy Sue. Also, why do you think they went with Captain Carter rather than Captain Britain? Five out of five, Union Jack Shields, continued thanks and take care, coffee and vodka. Thank you, coffee and vodka. Essentially, they went for Captain Carter and not Captain Britain because Captain Britain is an established Marvel comic book character, mm. has been teased within Endgame or Infinity War as uh, Brian Braddock. He was initially name dropped, uh, actually not even name dropped, he was written, his name was written, uh, in, uh, Captain America Winter Soldier, mm. when we first heard kind of Stephen Strange being named. Um, it's, he's been around for a while. So seemingly they have been thinking about how and when to bring in Captain Britain. So he is slightly a new go for now. Right. I, I actually just simply thought it was just as easy as, she was Agent Carter and she needed an upgrade to Captain Carter. I think it's just as simple as that. No, she says herself. She wanted the title. Yeah, she chose okay. Captain Carter from Agent Carter. Yeah. Um, so I think it makes sense. And yeah, I know what you mean. She's not replacing Captain America. She's done a new Captain America. She is 
Captain Carter, a whole new entity to become the first Avenger. Uh, why we don't have a training montage? I suppose we've seen Agent Carter. If you think about the the moment that this happens in the episode where she be, where she takes the super soldier serum, we've already seen about twenty five minutes of Captain America, the the first Avenger, and in those moments we saw her punch someone to the ground we know she has pretty good capability when it comes to fighting so she doesn't need a training massage she now just has extra powers to add to how good she is physically anyway so yeah uh, that's probably why we don't have that yeah good stuff coffee and vodka uh, thanks so much for the the email in uh, over on facebook um joel sharpton says i'm always late with feedback so i'll get in early for the next episode these are so exciting, and the initial episode actually lived up to that overhyped expectation. So fun to see twists on characters and situations. If most of these what-if stories are basically condensed 30-minute movies using your own pre-knowledge of the original story, I'm even more excited to see the ones we don't know are coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, really a uh, good, good point there, Joel. Um, th- there's a lot here that we don't know, even the opening title credits and um, with you know the shards showing slightly different variations and, and so on a lot of them actually you know are kind of already done uh, mm-hmm. by the the second episode and um, so you know we haven't seen dr strange or spider-man you know like we've seen in the official um sort of promotional stuff and material here but uh yeah i'm like what there must be something more that we're just not seeing or the the way they're going to weave them together yeah. is going to be really uh, really interesting and uh, yeah i think you bang on the nail it's you come with the knowledge of the movies and so they can take an awful lot for granted to really whip through um the the whole episode yeah. um so yeah great stuff joel thanks Yes, thank you so much, Joe. But if you don't have that preconceived knowledge and understanding, that is what our episodes are for, because our first point is, what is it based on? Yeah, uh, I'd also highly recommend, if you don't know uh, what's coming up in the series, check out those uh, those Marvel Legends uh, uh, videos, the eight-minute videos they put on uh, on um, Disney+, Plus because they definitely explain some of the things that you may have missed out. Even if you've seen the movies multiple times, they, they pick out little things. Uh, speaking of things that may have been affected in the universe, uh, Heather Wallace also comments on Facebook. She says, I really enjoyed this first episode. I love the Peggy and Steve story in all its star-crossed forms. I also really enjoyed the friendship between Peggy and Howard, and having the voice actors back was just brilliant. Bucky saying, you almost pulled my arm off, was a fun and cheeky nod to the universe we know. And since he doesn't become the Winter Soldier, does that mean Howard isn't assassinated? Is there a whole fleet of Iron Man suits in this universe? And is Tony and Howard's relationship better? Or is Steve a substitute father figure for Tony? And Tony refines the suit and becomes Iron Man to honour him. I really enjoyed hearing your thoughts and insights. And Chris, you have no idea how accurate your comment about the Watcher's voice being like a bedtime story is. I had surgery last week and now I'm home in bed recuperating. I listened to you three gentlemen to comfort myself. Thanks so much, Heather. That's really good to hear. I'm hoping that we're, we're getting you through some recovery, uh, while, while you're recuperating in bed, uh, at the moment. Uh, and some really good thoughts there as well. I love the idea that, that there are additional knock on effects we didn't even think about. You know, the idea that potentially since there's no winter soldier, who would be the one to murder Howard Stark, um, which kicks off all of Civil War. So loads of extra elements that are that could have been uh, out of this universe just purely because of that one moment with Peggy, right? Yeah, huge. 
just it's the knock-on effect is like I always talk about the ripple and ripple and ripple and ripple. Yeah, mm-hmm, definitely. Thank you so much, Heather. Uh, yeah, and I really hope you are feeling better. Yeah, uh, definitely, Heather. Hope you hope you're getting yourself uh, better as well. Definitely. Uh, well, since you had some surgery, we also have some feedback from Doctor Bob Phillips. That's a segue. I'm going to take it. Perfect. <laughs> Absolutely. Phillips had this to say five minutes in. Son asks, so. Was he mostly annoyed because Peggy's a girl or because she is British? Love it. <laughs> he also greatly appreciated the swears in German subtitle for Armin Zola. We also loved the keeping of the dance lines mm. and the Nazi giant with a striking resemblance to Gaston and the way her hair stayed amazing throughout it all on point. Yes, thank you so much, Dr. Bob. And uh, I think it's because she's British because... <laughs> British people annoy us all. I say being kind of half. I'm, I'm allowed to say that. Oh, Speaking dear. also to another British person and to Dr. Bob. I'm going to say it's because she's British. <laughs> I get away with it. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Oh, I already, I, I said the words and I walked it back as soon as they left my lips. <laughs> okay, Chris. Apologize there. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Excellent. It is the curious questions, I guess. And certainly I think, um, I, Definitely appreciate learning uh, swear words through foreign language uh, subtitles, or dare I say, even just knowing by be- given the reference that there is a uh, swears in German, mm-hmm. um, and that was really funny as well. I I can just imagine Toby Jones sort of cowering and doing it in that kind of pathetic voice. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was really uh, really amazing. Um, thanks so much, uh, Doctor Bob. Um, and and your son as well. Also over on Facebook, Jeff Charles says, I really enjoyed the episode. I wish it was an hour episode. It was like having Captain America compressed into 30 minutes. Peggy and Howard are so fun together, and it was great to have the original actors back. Jeffy Wright is wonderful as the Watcher. He is like the Rod Sterling of the MCU. I wonder if they're going to do more with the character than just intros uh, and outros. Mm. Uh, thanks so much, Jeff. I am totally with you uh, with Peggy and Howard. I love the chemistry that they brought yeah. um, to uh, that animated performance and the voice acting. And you, as you say, you can tell that they were involved um, in in the various episodes through two seasons of the Peggy Carter um, series. Yeah. Uh, it was just really uh, wonderful. And who knows on the intros and outros for, for The Watcher? I think right. it will really depend um, how they weave, or if they weave, I guess, um, mm-hmm. these characters um, from the different universes together. I, I guess at this moment in time, the Watcher, in terms of the stories we've had, is simply seeing the additional um, universes um, that form the multiverse being yep. created through these slight changes. So um, you never know. I, I guess there's a bigger part in there somewhere. Yeah, we certainly noticed in this episode, in episode two, we've certainly noticed a little more of a presence of the Watcher uh, throughout the episode, at least. So not just talking and saying the intro and outro of the episode. He's also a little bit present in the background. Um, so keep an eye out. We may see more of him as the season goes on. Uh, thanks, Jeff. Uh, AJ Apersol says, 
I loved this episode and I know I'm going to love this show. So far, Disney has not disappointed with their shows. I love how the small decision of Peggy not going to the viewing room can not only change her future, but also the future of so many people, even ones not born yet. I honestly thought that when the train exploded that Steve was going to be the Winter winter Soldier. I did have a question, though. How did Hydra get the Tesseract to open the portal? I thought Captain Carter took it from the Doctor. Was the Tesseract in the Hydra Stomper suit? Can't wait for next week. Yes, that's exactly what happened. That's uh, Howard used the Tesseract to build the Hydra Stomper suit. And when uh, when Red Skull got his hands on it, he popped out the Tesseract to use it. Thanks, AJ. Yep, thanks, AJ. Yep, thanks, AJ. Donald Dennis had this to say. I really liked episode one, though it took me a hot minute to catch up because everything was moving so fast. Mm -hmm. It felt like we got a full six-episode season in 30 minutes, and it could have benefited from a bit of breathing room. But for the form factor of what if, it was amazing, and it kept me guessing. The buff Peggy Carter was impressive, and it seemed like she is more powerful than Steve Rogers was as Cap. Maybe this is because it was an animated feature, but I suspect that it may be because she was not as infirm as Steve was before she was enhanced. If so, it is a great bit of world building. The Iron Man suit is a fantastic commentary on Stark's particular brand of brilliance. He has the ultimate power and he puts it in a tin can and sends it to the front. Mm-hmm. As opposed to the Red Skull, who's going to keep it safe and secret, using it power to using it to power the entire Hydra army. While the Hydra God was an interesting animation event, and I love the sequence, it just didn't quite make sense. <laughs> but I really liked the whole thing. I even watched it again. Thank you so much, Donald. Yeah, they. Uh, I think everyone's a bit with the Hydra God. Was it Cthulhu? Was it... Who was it? What was it? I think it was just a good old monster. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I definitely agree with Donald. You know, it, it's, a, it's a change to um, the original. And whether it's a knock-on effect because of what happened or because something, you know, has happened to the Red Skull that we've not seen on camera. Mm-hmm. So the change is a little weird. But there is a nice little moment where the artifact door with the, the, the tree of life that, um, the Red Skull has taken from the, the church in, from Norway. And um, there is a, a, a little motif there which shows the, the tesseract in, in a portal with the tentacles coming out. So I guess it's the idea of, you know, the mythology, um, being real in the same sense as Thor existing. So yeah. in that sense, I can see that it, it makes sense, but where it came from, um, it, yeah, it, it would be, I guess that's the reason we don't find that out is just because it is such a, um, you know, at, at a quick pace, the yeah. whole thing. And I do like your idea that Peggy started from a higher base with the serum being injected into her. And so maybe, um, that explains, um, that she was maybe a bit tougher or a bit stronger than, than Steve. So, um, I, that is really, uh, that really makes sense to me. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely was a much, uh, much higher base than uh, than Steve when he got the serum, serum. He wouldn't have even made it into the army, and she'd already been in the army for multiple years. Yeah, so, yeah, definitely. Thanks so much, Donalds, uh, for the feedback. And um, Diana Debreen Maskell says enjoyed this a lot, especially the comic book feel and how awesome non-buff Steve is, as well as their relationship. Peggy Carter has always rocked. 
And now she is amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, absolutely agree with you there, uh, Diana. Salima Kisler on Facebook says, This was brilliant. So far, this is the first Marvel Disney Plus show to exceed my expectations in the first episode. The character motivations are all consistent with who we know. The animation is beautiful and reminds me of superhero cartoons I enjoyed as a youngster, or more recently as well. (laughs) Getting Steve in on the action in the proto-Iron Man suit was pitch perfect. I believe the monster coming through the Tesseract was some version of or a nod to Hive from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Loved this episode, and I'm looking forward uh, to the podcast. Um, yeah, thanks, Salim. It's interesting you say about the hive, because that was my first thing that I went to um, when I saw the the monster coming through the portal mm. that was being powered by the Tesseract uh, as well. And I, I think it, it's certainly, you know, it's the Hydra god of the tentacles and the skull face. And I think in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., it's mainly just... The, the skull hive kind of reveals his his skull behind it i don't but i, I do remember there tentacles are, that's yeah, yeah, been yeah. such a long time yes yeah, um, there are tentacles you know? involved in, in hive's head but it's human-sized head almost so yeah it's not this massive uh beast that we saw on, on ages of shield i think I, i'm sure there is there are versions of hive uh that are similar to this and i know one of the ones that's out there everywhere is that this is 100 percent Shoma Garth, the, uh, the Doctor Strange villain. That's absolutely what it is. Don't think so. Yeah. It looks, it's more to do with Hydra. Uh, it was what we think when we were talking about it on episode one. Uh, it's definitely more connected with Hydra. And I think you've, you're onto something. This could be this universe's version of Hive. Doesn't matter whether it looks the same as Agent of Shield. And yeah. John, you were, you were saying that, that as well when we were talking. Uh, it doesn't really matter if it looks the same as Agent of Shield. It could absolutely be the Marvel. Uh, Disney Plus Universe's version of Hive that they're introducing here. But but really what it's trying to explain is at the end of Captain America, the first Avenger, Johann Smith or Red Skull was pulled through a portal created by the Tesseract. And that's what he's been experimenting on is creating these portals and windows to other worlds uh, to try and pull in other powers. But actually, once again, he gets killed because of it or he gets taken out because of it. So, uh, so that, that's what's happened here. So yeah, uh, but excellent stuff. Thanks, Liam, for your feedback. Uh, Michael Booth says... That was fun. Felt rushed cramming a two-hour movie into a 30-minute show, but I guess the idea is that we already know the story beats, so we get shorthand. I loved all the subtle nods to the prime reality, the jokes about the Bonds tour, the dancing turning into dance lessons, the proving herself like an Agent Carter, and the slight changes to the cap theme. Animation was snappy and fights were slick. Though it was weird that we saw Steve take bullets to the chest with no wounds. Disney family friendly, I guess. I'm so happy that they made Carter buff like Steve rather than just powering her up with no physical changes. Overall, awesome. Can't wait for the rest of the series. Thanks so much, Mike. Yeah, great. 100%. Yeah, um, absolutely. The bullets to the chest with no wound. Yeah, that's pretty much what that is. But that being said, we have seen people over on our Bad Batch podcast get shot in the head and we've seen viscera so who knows what it was and they've apparently still survived at the bad batch so yeah yeah (laughs) that was also a different species remember we did get some good feedback that said maybe their brain isn't in their head (laughs) Um, so yeah we you know they were a politician too yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Thanks, exactly. Michael. Yeah, thanks so much, Mike. Ronaldo says, okay, again, I'm only halfway through the first episode, but I wanted to lay out my thoughts. All I could say so far is brilliant. I know it's a pretty early call, but I'm talking purely just production and what I see at the moment. The animation is nothing I've seen before, though, at the same time harks towards polished comic book artistry you'd expect from the likes of Jolie Jones or more recently, Elena Casagrande. Added to this fact, 
is the beautiful works of art are kinetic and are move so fluently. It's a true pleasure to watch the action scenes of Captain Carter. My God, I'm going to say it far exceeds anything live action can do. You can follow all the movements quite easily and the sequences aren't hindered by the laws of the physical world. In animation, all those kicks, flips and hits look so damn perfect. I'm loving this. I love the fact that it's an alternate reality. You can really have fun with this. And the fact we get voices to familiar characters only accentuate this more. This is the MCU proving again that they are trailblazers. I could watch this over and over again. Thanks so much, Raoul. Yeah, it's what a great way to start the season. Um, as we said, this is just easing you in. You've now seen the second episode as well, and you've seen they've already pushed the concept to much further uh, levels. Yes, 100%. And you're right, the, the MCU are trailblazers. Um, they were one of the first and the most successful with a connected universe. And look at where we are now. Ten years later, 24 films, X amount of seasons of shows, and it's just fantastic. It really is. I Like you, I could watch it all over. I could do this all day. How a bit more a bit more of an MCU reference. I could do this all day. There you go. There yeah. you go. Yeah, thanks so much uh, Ronaldo. Uh, and definitely the the animation was gorgeous when we finally watched it on on Disney Plus. Oh, yeah. Um in in the previews it just I guess just the way it was processed and how it came onto our screen um it it didn't feel quite as vibrant and up there, but still loved it. And then getting it on the the big screen straight from the old D plus, then um, yeah, it was yeah, it was really great animation. And as I say, yeah. kinetic, hark to back to comics, um, and of course, we're already seeing that change in style as to how they're doing it as well, mm-hmm. um, in in terms of music and feel and tone and look. Um, as we move, uh, you know, from World War Two into in into space. Yeah. Thanks so much, Ray. Thank you so much, Ray. Continuing on over on Facebook, Dan Lee had this to say: "I absolutely loved it. And if Marvel wanted to do a do-over and start all the Avengers movie with Captain Carter, that would be super." Mm-hmm. More Haley Atwell. More Haley Atwell. Yeah, we're right there with you. And there's been rumors. Just going to put that out there that maybe who knows what happens. Yes, people are, are definitely interested in a live-action Captain Carter. That yeah. is all yeah. I've heard. Or just give us Agent Carter season three. I, I don't I don't care as long as we get Haley Atwell back as Peggy Carter. There we go. Yes, 100%. Uh, rounding out our feedback on Facebook from Alan Thomas, who had this to say, I found this just okay. Not terrible, but not great. So like three Union Jack Shields out of five, I guess. I was really excited for this season, as I used to love the comic. I hope we get more dramatically different scenario in future episodes, and also featuring characters I like better than these. Mm. The main selling point for this retelling of the first Cat movie, for my money, was the girl power aspect, which did make me excited to watch it with my 11-year-old daughter. But then they had Steve Rogers still be the most powerful hero in the story. Come on, people! Can someone explain to me how Peggy staying in the room meant Steve gets shot? Thank you so much, Alan. Okay, so hopefully by now you're listening to this and you've watched season episode two and you're enjoying it because that is what you wanted. That is the, this is the more dramatic scenarios unfolding. In terms of how Peggy staying in the room, it meant that everyone else stayed in the room. 
it meant that the the initial bombs that we saw in the original film, the OG film, were placed in different places, and also the the bomber got nervous yeah. and started moving forward. Peggy shouted, and then the other bomber got spooked and went and tried to shoot Steve, and that's how he got shot. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it is. Steve jumps out because he's heroic. He jumps out to try and save the day and gets gets shot in that moment as well. As for Steve Rogers being the most powerful hero in the story, I don't think he is. He happens to have a Tesseract in a, an Iron Man suit, but he gets caught and he gets, it gets taken out of him. So it gets taken away from him. So the most powerful hero in this story absolutely is Captain Carter. Yeah, I, I think so too. I think um, he's certainly put in a position of power um, through the Hydra Stomper and through Howard Starks. But uh, I think ultimately it shows the weakness of, um, you know, this prototype Iron Man suit um, working off the, the Tesseract technology that he's still captured by um, by the Red Skull. Mm-hmm. Uh, and ultimately, with without the suit, if something goes wrong or the Tesseract power is taken away, then it is still young Steve Rogers um, with, you know, twink, tw- Twinkie-fied rather than Jockey-fied, I guess, ultimately. Um, in the <laughs> Okay. Never heard Steve, <laughs> Steve Rogers being called Twinkified versus... Yeah, well, he's, yeah, he's a twink <laughs> uh, rather than a jock a um, from, from the movies. But, um, okay. and, uh, but, I mean, certainly, I think, Alan, you know, it was probably the shorthand being used. It was being familiar with, I guess, this story. Um, that, you know, I, I would say probably similar to you that, you know, I thought this was a good, good episode. Um, it, but it maybe wasn't as elevated, uh, as I was expecting. I yeah. guess it's my expectation, uh, on, on this really. Um, but, uh, yeah. Thanks so much for the feedback, Alan. Absolutely. Um, really good to get your, your thoughts there. Um, I do love that they replaced the, the dancing scene effectively with Steve Rogers in Iron Man suit, Captain Carter, uh, now all Captain Cartered up, and the two of them doing their dance is their attack on all the tanks. I uh, thought that was great. <laughs> yeah, that, that was pretty good, actually. Yeah. Thanks, Alan. Let's close out the feedback with our voicemail in from Steve Brown. Hello, TV Podcast Industries. This is Steve, and this is for the first episode of, of What If. I can't uh, can't wait to hear you guys break this one down, especially since you had a got a preview of it. So I'm not sure when you'll you'll have this um, this voicemail feedback. I don't know if they're going to do it. Whatever you guys decide to do will be great. Uh, I can't wait to listen to your podcast. It's queued up uh, in my player next, and uh, it's like I don't want to say too much because I'm I'm preparing for my own podcast covering of it. But I absolutely loved it. I, I really, really enjoyed it. And uh, uh, let's see. The only thing I'll say is it it made me want to watch Captain America First Avenger again. And that's what I'm going to do tonight. All right. Talk to you guys later. Thanks so much, Steve. Uh, I'm really looking forward to hearing your podcast, too. Um, I hope you've enjoyed ours and I hope you enjoyed our discussion about it. But yeah, you know, as we said on our first episode podcast, Captain America First Avenger is one that I would have watched multiple, multiple times, which means John, of course, has to watch it multiple, multiple times. I sure do. Me. So, uh, so until we got Civil War, I was watching that over and over again, and then Civil War took over for me. But we just know it so well, and I love that it's it's used those touch points uh, to kind of allow you to flesh out what wasn't seen on screen in this thirty minute episode. I like I like that touch. Yeah, it's. Well, it's, it's, it's a really good movie, uh, First Avenger, Captain America, First Avenger. But 
similar to you, uh, Steve, as well, uh, for this second episode. Uh, I watched that and I just had to go back to Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1 and Volume 2. Uh, and as a result, I've just been um, just humming away all those great soundtracks um absolutely cracking up um with rocket raccoon uh just thought it was really really good and that actually i think i've got a new appreciation for uh the the guardians of the galaxy movies actually because there were some moments where it, it, i'd forgotten how um sort of emotional and touching it, it was for me uh but i really uh just connected back in with uh rocket raccoon um which was really which was great and he's also uh weirdly in the comic uh that i'm reading at the moment which is strange academy oh, right. um so that was that was quite good he just he popped in to help out with at strange academy so i thought that was pretty good with groot as well of course of course cameo gotta love them absolutely Excellent. thanks everyone for your feedback on episode one hopefully we'll get some feedback in that we'll be able to put into our uh episode on episode three looking forward to it uh, john and myself are going on holidays for two weeks so we will have episode three out in time uh when it comes out on disney plus uh, next week but we'll be a little bit later with episode four so what we wanted to do in the meantime is send in all your feedback that you possibly want to to us you can email us to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com and we'll discuss it all when we get back from holidays we're all going on a summer holiday well yeah it, it's kind of a holiday it, yeah. it's more the fact that we haven't traveled in two years exactly exactly <laughs> we're all going on a just a holiday yeah because yeah. <laughs> yeah. it'll no doubt be raining uh like stir rods where we're going but nonetheless yes of course it will but we won't have any major delay of the podcast just a couple of days uh on episode four so thanks so much for joining us for our podcast about what if we'll be back next time yeah, please subscribe to the podcast uh, and support us um, on the podcast catcher of your choice. You can also support us over on patreon.com forward slash TV podcast industries or on buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash TVPI. Any support in whichever way uh, you want to provide it uh, is absolutely very much appreciated mm-hmm. by us. Yes. But for now, thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for joining us. We will speak to you again soon. Yeah, thanks so much, uh, fellow defenders, uh, for joining us for this week's discussion. Uh, I can't wait to chat uh, and discuss episode three of What If with you uh, as well. And remember, keep watching, keep listening, and keep defending. Bye. 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 Bye.